Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, for the first time in decades, California will have a highly competitive Senate race with possibly no incumbent. L.A. Congressmember Adam Schiff announced last week that he's running, joining Orange County Representative Katie Porter, who was the first to announce she's seeking the seat Senator Dianne Feinstein has held for 30 years. Meantime, Feinstein has not said yet whether she's leaving office, Well, look at who else is likely to run, what you think of the job Feinstein has been doing lately, and hear who you'd like to see as California's next senator. Join us. I'm Mina Kim. Welcome to Forum. Congress members Katie Porter and Adam Schiff have already made California's 2024 Senate race interesting, But more high-profile candidates are expected to throw their hat in the ring for the coveted seat Dianne Feinstein has held since 1992. Representative Barbara Lee has shared her desire to run for Senate in a closed-door meeting. Representative Ro Khanna has signaled his interest in the past. And even Feinstein herself hasn't said for sure she's not seeking re-election. So what do you think California needs in a senator? And who do you think best fits the bill. Post your thoughts on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at KQED Forum, email forum at kqed.org, or call us 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Joining me today, Melanie Mason, national political correspondent for the Los Angeles Times. Welcome, Melanie. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. Jeremy White is with us, a reporter for Politico who co-writes the California Playbook. Hi, Jeremy. Honored to be here. Honored to have you. And our own Marisa Lagos is with us, po- politics correspondent and co-host of KQED's Political Breakdown Show. Hey, Marisa. Good morning, Nina. Good to be here. Glad you're on. Marisa, I thought we might have a few more months before we were talking <laughs> a major 2024 <laughs> election. <laughs> what does the fact that people have entered the Senate fray this early tell you about what we're in store for in these many months ahead? First of all, it is real expensive to run in California and you want to start fundraising as soon as possible. I mean, you know, and I mean, it feels early. It is early. But let's be honest, unless the legislature moves the primary, it's going to be in in 13 months. Yeah, it'll be in March. Right. So in a way, it's not that early. I think we're all just tired, especially because of the recalls that we've seen in recent years. Um, But yeah, I mean, this is a huge state, um, even though to those of us in the political world, all of these names are super familiar. I would bet money if you walked out uh, onto a city street and any of the places we're all talking from today and asked somebody who's Katie Porter, who's Adam Schiff, most people wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that, you know, this just speaks to the fact that they're going to need to get that name ID out there. They're going to need a lot of money to do that because this is not a retail politics state. It's a TV. It's a digital ad state. Um, And then, you know, that this is 
could be a top two race in the fall with two Democrats. And so they want to get out there early and really kind of define who they are before everyone else can do it for them. Yeah. Uh, Melanie, Katie Porter announcing first, of course, for fundraising. That's really important to be able to run in a state like California. What are the other advantages of getting out ahead of everyone else? Well, I think Marisa... Uh, pointed to a major point, which is getting building up that name recognition. And I think that it's also to send a signal to other po- potential rivals of, hey, I'm in the race. If you're able to announce a big fundraising haul, uh, just as you announced, as both Congressman Porter and Congressman Schiff were able to do, that might scare off some folks who might be thinking, mm, maybe I'll take a stab at this if you can sort of show a lot of strength out the gate. Um, and so I think that there's both uh, a sense of trying to introduce yourself to the voters and also the sort of inside game of sending a message to other potential rivals that maybe they should think twice. And what's Porter's pitch to voters, would you say, Melanie? How how is she positioning herself and hoping she'll resonate with voters? She's leaning so hard into the um, persona that she's really created since being elected to Congress in 2018, which is this um, anti-corruption into oversight. She's got the whiteboard in hand and she's going to be grilling corporate executives and you know members of the Trump administration back in the day. Um, that is really what she is going to be building her campaign off of. And so we heard from the get-go that she'd be talking about some of these economic issues talked about how she's never taken corporate PAC money is one of the things that I'm seeing quite a bit in her fundraising appeals. Uh, And really this sort of populist anti-corruption appeal, which is an interesting tack because, yes, it really appeals to a lot of people on the left. But there's also a strain of that going on in the right right now with a lot of um, corporate skepticism towards corporations. And so I think that there might be some ways to to tap into some folks who might otherwise not be fans of a uh, more liberal-leaning uh, politician um, who's known best for being a close associate of Elizabeth Warren. Hmm. Well, let's hear a little bit from Katie Porter's campaign video. I'm Katie Porter. Change can be electrifying and exhilarating, but change can also be disruptive, like the constant assault on our democracy and the dangerous imbalance in our economy. The threat from so-called leaders like Mitch McConnell has too often made the United States Senate the place where rights get revoked special interests get rewarded, and our democracy gets rigged. Especially in times like these, California needs a warrior in Washington. That's exactly why I'm announcing my candidacy for the United States Senate in 2024. And that's what we're talking about, uh, the U.S. Senate race in California 2024. Let's talk about Adam Schiff, Jeremy. As expected, Adam Schiff jumped in. He jumped in last week. Tell us a little bit about what he is trying to say, what he's hoping voters will see him as. I think as you would expect, given how much Adam Schiff has risen to prominence in recent years as sort of a principal antagonist of Donald Trump, somebody who was very much in the thick of impeachment proceedings, you saw his launch video feature a lot of footage of Donald Trump some footage of Congressman Schiff making the case for impeachment. And while he did hit on some economic themes in announcing his candidacy and when I spoke to him, he is clearly making that case that he will be in the same way that Katie Porter is casting herself as sort of an anti-corruption warrior. He is casting himself as a pro-democracy warrior, you might say, which Mm is a theme that Katie Porter is hitting as well. I am interested to see how much that will carry in comparison to some of his uh, economic record, who was much more of a moderate back in the day, he sort of shifted to the left over the years. But I think 
if you ask a lot of California progressives, they definitely see a Katie Porter or a Barbara Lee as more of a progressive than an Adam Schiff. Yeah. When you spoke to Schiff recently, Jeremy, he told you he's progressive, right? He ID'd himself as a progressive? He did. He highlighted his support for uh, agenda items like the Green New Deal and Medicare for All. Uh, And then a reporter on the Hill asked Katie Porter about that. She noted, "Mm, he's not a member of the Progressive Caucus. I am. So I expect we will hear more of that sort of back and forth. I mean, look, politicians uh, change and evolve all the time. The Democratic Party of 2004, when Adam Schiff was one of the blue dog Democrats, uh, looks different today. But still, in a race where it's going to come down to distinctions between Democrats, I do think that history matters. Mel noted uh, that Katie Porter has really emphasized her lack of corporate contributions. People are certainly aware of some of the money Adam Schiff has taken over the years. And so these Democrats are going to need to create distinctions amongst each other. And I expect some of that history to come into play. Mm. Well, let's hear a little bit from Adam Schiff's launch video. Today's Republican Party is gutting the middle class, threatening our democracy. They aren't going to stop. We have to stop them. That's why I'm running for the U.S. Senate. The struggle isn't over. Not for me, not for you, not for our country. Well, Marisa, someone who is a member of the Progressive Caucus, who has not announced officially a run for U.S. Senate, but has hinted at it very, very strongly, is, of course, Barbara Lee. Tell us a little bit about Barbara Lee's position in all of this, how well you think Lee could do in a race that currently includes Porter and Schiff? Yeah, I mean, she is, speaking of progressives, a legend, right? Um, I think most sort of famously for her vote against the Iraq War, uh, a vote that has aged very well over time. Um, You know, she is 76 years old. She is obviously a member of the Black Caucus. She's, um, I, I think, a really dynamic person, she's never had a hard fight. And so there's a lot of questions, I think, around her ability to raise money because she has sort of cruised to re-election. She's spent a lot of her political capital, though, of course, helping other members and other causes. Um, And so it's not as if she's never, you know, picked up a phone to ask for some money. Um, But she's talked very openly about the challenges for particularly black women, um, progressive black women in raising money. Um, And I think that, you know, there's, there's kind of a number of questions. There's the politics and policy, but there's also just like geography. Um, We have kind of disproportionate number of powerful California Democrats from the Bay Area. Um, And I think that's in part because of how engaged the Bay Area electorate is um, and, you know, which which translates both into experience in local politics, but then also just like having a really good base of support and money. Um, So, uh, you know, she obviously will have to decide sooner than later, I think, and publicly make a decision. As, as you said, Mina, she said privately, and her staff has confirmed that she said that she intends to run. Um, and I do think age will be a question. You know, this is a time where a lot mm-hmm. of Democrats nationally are clamoring for a kind of new era, um, a new generation of leaders. Um, Barbara Lee has a lot of goodwill among younger voters. um, But, you know, when the biggest question about the person you're running to replace is her age, does that hurt you? Um, I think that's still an open question. Melanie Mason, what do you think? And what do you think is the part of a record that you would really highlight so that people aren't thinking about that? I agree with Marisa in the sense that her anti-war credentials. I mean, remember, she was the 
only member of Congress that um, voted against the war in Afghanistan. And so, I mean, that is a real um, distinction among all of her peers. And that's a position that now not only do most Democrats support, but the majority of the country supports. And so I think that that is something that we're going to hear quite a bit of. But I agree with Marisa that to me, the biggest question is both the issue of her raising money and the question of her age, because there is this subtext going on with Senator Feinstein of if she is going to seek reelection, what's her ability to you know fully represent the state in her role right now. And I think that this question of replacing um, an octogenarian octogenarian with a septuagenarian uh, may not be necessarily something that uh, the California electorate is really all that into. I saw you nodding, Jeremy, when Marisa was mentioning that that Lee has faced little competition in her Oakland district. So raising the money could be a big challenge for her, whereas it sounds like Schiff and Porter are very prodigious fundraisers. (laughs) There's no doubt that part of what makes uh, Porter and Schiff, such formidable candidates, is that they are such prodigious fundraisers. Um, you know, Katie Porter did have to drain a lot of that money defending a battleground House seat in Orange County. On the other hand, I think for a lot of folks, that shows that she's sort of battle tested and um, can survive a tough race and, and raise a lot of money. Barbara Lee, as Marisa pointed out, is in the safest of safe districts, beloved in that district, but has never really had a a tough race. And I would just echo the point um, that both Marisa and Melanie made about her age. I I will tell you, I have spoken to a lot of uh, progressive Democrats who sort of off the record will say something to the effect of, I love Barbara Lee. She's an icon. She is deservedly revered. I'm not sure we need to be putting in somebody who's going to be 80 soon. Hmm. Well, we're talking with Jeremy White of Politico, Melanie Mason of the LA Times, Marisa Lagos of KQED, and we are talking to you, our listeners, about who you want to be California's next senator. Stay with us for more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here's what we're doing tomorrow. We'll look at California's struggle to enforce its gun laws and prevent mass shootings in the wake of the Monterey Park and Half Moon Bay massacres. Today, we're talking about what California needs in a senator and who you think best meets those needs. What kind of senator would you like to see? What qualities or values do you want California's next senator to have? Diane Feinstein has committed to completing her term through 2024 and hasn't said yet whether or not she'll seek re-election. How do you feel about Diane Feinstein and the job that 
Senator Feinstein has been doing for us and whether or not you would like to see her run again. Email forum at KQED. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Give us a call, 866-733-6786. We have a voicemail here from Andrea. Let's hear what she has to say. I am a Oakland resident. My name is Alondra, and I am team Katie Porter. I feel like Katie Porter is the best candidate because she has always demonstrated that she cares about the constituents and she cares about um, transparency and holding people accountable, particularly uh, businesses. And I feel like she will fight for the people. That was Oakland resident Alondra. Sorry for saying Andrea earlier. Another listener says, Barbara Lee speaks for me. I hope she can raise enough money. And uh, I do want to read this comment from Andy in San Jose, who writes, I've been a fan of Diane Feinstein since the murder of Mayor Moscone and Supervisor Milk. That said, my father is 92, and he, when he was in the early years of his now late-stage Alzheimer's disease, he was totally unaware of his cognitive decline. I fear that Senator Feinstein is unable to recognize her loss of ability to think clearly. Jeremy, what are the chances you think that Feinstein runs for re-election? I think the chances are pretty minuscule. Um, it will make us all look foolish if she chooses to, as we've been out here sort of handicapping the coming race. Look, I think Senator Feinstein, the longest serving woman in Senate history, a lot of people feel she deserves the respect and the um, autonomy to go out on her own terms. But I, I think even if she is, um, as people describe it, a little stubborn about it, I think given her age and, and some of those questions about her cognitive um, capacity, I would be very surprised if she runs for another term. Mm. What do you think, Marisa, in terms of whether or not she runs, but also what might be driving the fact that Feinstein is adamant that she will keep her seat, hold on to her seat, will not retire early, as some have suggested that she should? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this gets into a really difficult area to talk about, right? But there's a lot of pretty, I think, solid sort of accounts from inside the Senate, staffers, even other senators who have raised issues about her cognitive decline. And I, you know, I don't say that lightly and we're not doctors and we don't know her, you know, what's going on. But I think there are, there are open questions in Washington, D.C. about her ability to fully serve. And we saw her acknowledge that maybe she's not, you know, as on top of things as she once was when she decided to step down um, from heading Judiciary Committee, when she passed on being Senate pro tempore, which would have put her third in line Mm -hmm. for the presidency if something happened, right? So those are real things we can point to that do not sort of, um, you know, meld with who Dianne Feinstein has historically been that to me indicate that some of these stories about potentially sort of her own health are not just coming from people who are interested in undermining her. You know, we also heard um, Adam Schiff, I think, told Melanie that he had spoken with uh, Dianne Feinstein the day before he announced and that she essentially gave him her blessing. Uh, She has said publicly, you know, the more the merrier, even though she won't talk about her own plans. Um, You know, she said, she won't decide until next year last week whether she'll run you know which again given the timeline i think like it doesn't fully make sense because next year you know the the primary would be just months away um 
So it's hard. And I think we're all really trying to give the senator due respect. Um, but I also think that, you know, we have the most populous largest state in the nation. Um, and I think there's real questions about whether we're being adequately represented by one of our U.S. senators right now. Let me go to callers. Andre in Oakland, you're on. Hi, Andre. Hello. Hi. Well, how's everybody doing? I hope they're well. <laughs> as well as you, I hope, um, Andre. What's on your mind? So um, I think um, Katie Porter and Adam Schiff are incredibly gifted uh, leaders and legislators, right? And then I do think, uh, Senator Feinstein, it is kind of time. She's done a lot, and so it's time to pass the mantle, if you will, kind of like, uh, you know, Pelosi, Speaker Pelosi did. She passed the mantle. So if I were to choose between Adam Schiff and Katie Porter, I would pick Katie Porter. She's kind of more in my lane of she's got a certain amount of aggression and no BS about it uh, and smart, right? Adam Schiff's the same. Um, and then I think Adam would be tied to, oh, it's just running because of Trump or whatever, but she doesn't have that sort of uh, bootstrap on her. Mm. So she has the freedom to say, hey, I can hold him accountable also. But with Adam Schiff, I think people would be like, well, he's just running because he wants to, you know, talk about Trump, talk about Trump. I'm kind of tired of Trump, really. Mm. Well, Andre, thanks for sharing your thoughts. I appreciate it. I think I've sure. heard those echoed by some already. Let me go to Justin in San Francisco next. Hi, Justin, you're on. Hi, how are you? Can you hear me? I can. Yep. Great. Yeah, I think that, you know, listen, Feinstein, I think, historically has been one of the best members of the U.S. Senate. I'm born and raised in the city of, of San Francisco, and I've always been a big fan. I think in the last five years or so, you know, the reality is, I think we all know she has not been as sharp as she used to be. And I think at that point, you know, it's it's her her moral responsibility to give up her seat and not run for reelection and pass it to someone who is going to, who is first and foremost sharp, uh, and secondly, going to represent everyone in California. That being said, I, I would love to see whoever does replace her. I'd love to see someone who uh, is more middle ground, which, you know, historically she had always been. So, uh, you know, again, I, I remember growing up in the, you know, the, the 80s, 90s and, and being a huge fan of Feinstein's. Um, but I think it's definitely time for a, a change in leadership. Well, Justin, thanks. Melanie, Feinstein, more middle ground, as Justin says. What would you say would be her legacy? Um, and also, what would you like to see? There's clearly a lot of respect for Feinstein among us all. What would you like to see in terms of her being able to transition on her own terms? Well, to get to her legacy first, when I think of Senator Feinstein, there are two things that I think of. The first is the issue of guns. You know, she's really been a leader in the Congress about gun safety. She, of course, authored the 1994 uh, assault weapons ban. Um, you know, this is this is an issue that she's been identified with um, ever since uh, the Mus Musconian milk assassinations back in San Francisco. So this mm -hmm. is an issue that she has carried without with her through her political career, her legislative career. And, you know, once that assault weapons ban expired 10 years uh, later in 2004, she continued to reintroduce it. It really was a, an issue that she's been very passionate about. 
Uh, and the second thing I think about is her role um, on the Senate Intelligence Committee. Uh, you know, she has been seen as somebody who I think is, you know, a, a traditionalist, certainly a moderate centrist Democrat, but she not is not necessarily always going to be uh, compliant to the national security apparatus. And that really stood out um, in her insistence in releasing the report on torture by the CIA in the years following 9-11 uh, and the Iraq War and going against the administration at the time, the Bush administration, to do so. Um, and, you know, she got a lot of flack for that. And so I think that those are two um, issues where I think we see her experience, I think her seniority in being able to have the credibility to take on those issues. You know, that's what you get when you have uh, you have occupied a seat in the Senate for 30 years. Um, in terms of what I would like to see, I mean, I think I think that my preferences are sort of, um, you know, put those aside for a second. I think that what we're hearing from the candidates themselves is that they would like um, to be able to run to replace her without having to sort of do this awkward dance around, you know, should she be running or not? I think it's much easier for them and quite frankly, for the voters to wrap their minds around, here's this clean break and we're now starting what we think will be the next generation um, of California leaders. And I think that what we have in this weird interim is this 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 awkward dance where, as Jeremy alluded to, there's a, an assumption that she's not going to be running for reelection, but we're loading down all of our comments and our discussions with these caveats because we don't really know. And the more time we're doing that sort of questioning, we're doing less focusing on what her legacy was as a senator. And I think that that's something that uh, both political reporters in terms of sort of trying to examine um, her role in the Senate and the candidates themselves looking to succeed her would probably feel more comfortable in that zone. Mm. You know, we've been describing this position as or this opening for a California U.S. Senate seat as kind of a once in a generation event. And it's also making me think about the generational differences that a Feinstein has with a Porter uh, or even with an Adam Schiff. I'm wondering, Jeremy, how you think they differ most starkly from Feinstein? I think there have been some moments that have really crystallized those differences for a lot of Democrats in ways that have increased the frustration with Dianne Feinstein. Mm. There was the infamous video in which she sort of is very dismissive towards some um, young climate protesters uh, with the Sunrise Movement. Uh, her comments during the confirmation hearings for now Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett, in which she sort of praised Lindsey Graham, said this was a great hearing. I think some of that is a matter of policy in terms of things like the Green New Deal. And I think some of it is a matter of style in which Dianne Feinstein is really seen as an institutionalist, somebody who has been in the Senate for a long time and respects those rules and decorum. And a lot of Democrats want somebody who is more of a, a fighter in the style of a Katie Porter or an Adam Schiff who matches the sort of combative politics of the era that really casts things in existential terms. What does this mean for our planet? What does this mean for our democracy? So certainly those accomplishments that Melanie pointed to, the assault weapons ban and the CIA torture report, those are indelibly part of Dianne Feinstein's record. I think a lot of the loyal California Democrats who are going to vote in this primary would like to see somebody who's more in tune with the modern California Democratic Party. Mm. Jeremy White is a reporter with Politico. Marisa Lagos is politics correspondent for KQED. Melanie Mason is national political correspondent for the Los Angeles Times. And we are talking about 
California Senate race and hearing from you listeners who you want to be California's next senator or what kind of senator you think our state needs. You're also sharing your reflections on Diane Feinstein by emailing forum at kqed.org, finding us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, giving us a call at 866-733-6786. And Carrie from San Jose is on the line. Hi, Carrie. What would you like to say? Good morning. Um, well, I'd like to see someone whose seat in the House is safe, a uh, Democratic seat. And I'd also like to see a strong lawyer who would make a good leader on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Mm. So that gives leanings to someone like Adam Schiff or maybe even a Ro Khanna. Well, Carrie, you are not alone. This listener tweets, I adore Katie Porter. However, we need her in the House. Otherwise, it would likely go to a GOP candidate. Adam Schiff's district would easily elect another Democrat. This is the determining factor for me when I vote. Adam Schiff in the Senate and also on the Judiciary Committee. Diane Feinstein has been flying at half-mast for far too long. Even if she does run, I am certain she would lose. Marisa, what do you think? How much could that hurt Katie Porter, the concerns about her district and who it would go to? I'm doubtful that most folks who are not very plugged in as this listener is are going to be making those types of considerations. I, I know some voters do, but I just think what I've seen is that it's it's rare that those sort of kind of uh, back of the envelope calculations that folks like us will be looking at are, are necessarily what are going to drive mm. people to the polls. Um, you know, I think we were just talking about Diane Feinstein, and I think that it's true, you know, in addition to just her style and, you know, the fact that she, I think, has always been a more centrist Democrat, the party's moved left. The state has moved left. And you can see that with the way that someone like Adam Schiff is really positioning himself. You know, as we talked about at the top, he was a member of the Blue Dog Democrats. Um, now that's like... You know, not something you would want to be associated with. I've had people close to Katie Porter pointing that out, um, which, again, I think maybe for some people will matter. But given how long ago it was and the fact that he's on the same page on a lot of these important policies, um, that won't be the question. I mean, it's certainly interesting looking at the way he rolled out his um, campaign and really focused understandably, because that's his experience, but on the impeachments and on this sort of MAGA threat as he um, framed it. I think, you know, it speaks to the challenge Democrats are having right now um, and we saw play out in the fall election, which is like, what do they focus on? Is it these kind of like bread and butter, kitchen sink issues like the economy and inflation? Is it that sort of extremist threat? Um, can you walk and chew gum at the same time and do both? Is it a more populist message like Katie Porter has? Um, and so I think that this is going to be a race where a lot of those messages get tested and you're going to see a lot of overlap, quite frankly, on the candidates. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, Schiff has a real base. Porter has a real base. I think for them, the challenge is going to be moving beyond that, those bases and finding, you know, the, just the, the rest of the Democratic Party and those 25 percent of independents in California, at least half of which or maybe two thirds of which are at least open to voting for Democrats. Yeah. Well, Melanie, I am curious, though, who has come out for, for Porter's seat? So for Porter's seat, what we have seen is um, State Senator Dave Min has declared that he is running on the Democratic side, as well as Harley Ruda, who um, was won in Congress in 2018 and then lost that seat in 2020. So he is making another go at it. Um, and her Republican challenger, Scott Baugh, is also likely to be um, in that race. And again, that is a race where she eked out a win. Granted, it was a midterm. She had a slightly more comfortable win in a presidential year. But that is a very much a purple seat. That is not a um, 
solidly blue seat like we're seeing in, say, um, Adam Schiff's district, where we're already seeing like every Democrat within sort of like five miles of the valley saying that they might take a run for it. And I think that's because that is a seat that is almost certainly going to go for Democrats and is, is kind of seen as almost a lifetime appointment once you're able to, to win that seat. So mm. it's kind of two very different tales of succession that we're seeing in those two uh, congressional districts. That's true. If you think about how long Schiff has held that seat, like two decades or so. Yeah, two, 2000 was when he was elected. <laughs> yeah. So, Jeremy, who's declared for Schiff's seat? We actually just got a new one today. Democratic State Senator Anthony Portentino is running. We mm. already saw that Democratic Assembly Member Laura Friedman was running. It looks likely uh, that uh, the former L.A. City Attorney Mike Fuhr is running. Uh, we could have a member of the L.A. Board of Education. We could have the former star of Boy Meets World, whose name escapes me, but there's nothing like an open seat in L.A. So, <laughs> you know, as Melanie said, there will be a lot of interest in that seat, given that it really is something like a lifetime appointment if you win a comfortable blue seat in L.A. And to Melanie's point about Katie Porter, look, Katie Porter is running that as an open seat, um, but... I certainly heard concerns in the years leading up to this when everybody understood that Katie Porter might run for Senate that were framed as, I love Katie Porter. She would be great in the Senate, but she's one of the few Democrats who you can really count on to win that purple seat. She had a demonstrated ability to fundraise and to win tough races. Um, with an open seat, even in a presidential year, that becomes a much more difficult proposition for Democrats to hold on to that seat. You think we'll see a Republican run for the Senate seat, uh, Jeremy? I'm sure we will. My big question is uh, the last two U.S. Senate races in California, we had Democrats in the top two. My question is, are we going to get a clash between, say, Adam Schiff and Katie Porter in November? Or are we going to have a bunch of Democrats fracture the field, the Republicans consolidate around one Republican if they're capable of such a thing, and then one Democrat gets through and the election's essentially over in March? Because if it's a Democrat and a Republican in the November ballot, the Democrat is your next U.S. senator. If it's two Democrats, that gets a lot more interesting. Well, I definitely want to talk about who else could be running after the break. But before that, let me read this comment from Curtis, who writes, there is one person who would make an excellent senator for the great state of California. Rob Bonta can follow in the footsteps of Kamala Harris from attorney general to the Senate. Who do you want to be our next senator uh, representing California for in the United States Senate, you can tell us by calling 866-733-6786, emailing forum at kqed.org, or posting it on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at KQED Forum. More with Jeremy, Melanie, and Marisa after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Landing a seat in the U.S. Senate has been called scoring one of the most precious ultimate jobs in politics. And when you're from California, it matters even more. And there are a lot of people who seem interested in it. Adam Schiff and Katie Porter have already declared their candidacy for Dianne Feinstein's Senate seat. But there are a few others who have expressed very strong interest, of course, Representative Barbara Lee being one of them. And I want to get into a few more of the names that have been put out there. Really quick, Rob Bonta was mentioned by one of our um, listeners. Jeremy, you had a thought about Rob Bonta. (laughs) Yeah, Attorney General Rob Bonta, somebody who has demonstrated he can win statewide. Um, The sense that I get through sort of the political chattering classes is that he may be more interested in a governor run down the road than necessarily a U.S. Senate run. Um, And I think it's already shaping up to be a pretty crowded race. And I think savvy Democrats recognize that the path to victory gets narrower the more Democrats are in there. Jeremy White covers California politics for Politico. Melanie Mason is national political correspondent for the Los Angeles Times. Maria Salagos co-hosts KQED's political breakdown show and is also KQED's politics correspondent. Marisa, another name that has been brought up a lot is Ro Khanna, Representative Ro Khanna. Talk to us about him and what you're hearing in terms of his interest in the seat. Yeah, I mean, Ro Khanna would be really interesting. You know, he is uh, definitely sort of a Bernie Sanders Democrat, although he's taken a few issues where he can often sort of, I don't know, reach across the aisle these days, but reach across to more centrist Democrats, let's say. Um, he's very, I mean, he's on our air all the time. We all know him. He's on all the shows quite a bit. Um, but he's made some pretty interesting comments about his, his desire to see a black woman in the Senate, kind of indicating that if Barbara Lee runs, he will not. Mm. Um, and I haven't seen, I don't know, it just, it feels like he probably is not going to take this jump. But I don't know if Jeremy or Melanie disagree with me there. Mm. Have you heard anything different, Melanie? I would probably agree, although I think that we should never count out sort of the lure, right, of being able to move up the ladder. And so I think that as he's sort of taking the temperature, perhaps, if he sees a window, um, you know, maybe he uh, wants to to go through it. Of course, we've also heard chatter about him thinking about running for president at some point. So I think he's just very good at kind of keeping himself in uh, the the political ecosystem, as it were. And and, um, I do think that with regards to um, sort of the Bay Area domino effect, I think that seeing if Congresswoman Lee does in fact get into the race is probably going to be a pretty key determinant. Um, and so I think that until we see where she goes, I think that it's hard to say where, wh- what we'll expect from the congressman. Let me go to caller Ed in Palo Alto. Hi, Ed. Thanks for waiting. Hi. Uh, sure. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm actually starting to get uh, depressed <laughs> because um, I emailed um, Porter and asked her to run way before she um, announced. And the reason behind it is the following. First of all, Adam Schiff is, is good, obviously, and we all appreciate what he's doing. But he's a good litigator. And even then, he failed twice uh, in the impeachment. People had a lot of complaints about him going slow or going fast and all that. Secondly, and one of my most important reasons is that we 
need another woman representative in the Senate. I think that's a huge factor. We went from having two women senators uh, to one. Thirdly, we already have Alex Leia, right? He's a litigator. He's a, he's a lawyer. We need a finance person. And for me personally, the fact that um, Porter, Katie Porter, doesn't take a dime from corporate corporations is a huge, huge factor. Hmm. We need campaign finance reform, right? We need somebody that will stand up to corporations, and she has shown that she has done that. Yes, she's from a purple district, but um, the, 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 the fate of the House isn't going to be determined by one seat or two seats, right? It's usually plurality of seats. So it's, it's, to me, it's a very small price to pay. One last comment. I am in rural Connors district. I also emailed him. I said, please don't run. I don't want to campaign against you. Um, He's okay. I wouldn't. I, I think he's he's a very good show person, but our district still is suffering a lot from uh, lack of internet uh, access from from a lot of other things, hmm. right? And um, and um, and the fact that you know he declared that his buddy buddy with Matt Gates doesn't doesn't warm my heart either. I see. Uh, Barbara Lee. Barbara Lee. Um, look, they're, they're all good. Okay. Barbara Lee to me is a little bit too radical. And um, and um, has said a bunch of things about hurricanes and why they're not named after blacks and crazy stuff that we can't. Um, we need somebody. Uh, yeah, well, Ed, I, I, sorry, I'm not familiar with that last thing that you said, but I, I do really like hearing how engaged you are in this process and seeing how much engagement we have among so many of our listeners. So let me just try to get a couple more in. Will in Santa Clara, what would you like to say? Uh, hi, thank you very much for taking my call. I'm not as well educated on all of the candidates as I hope to be in the future. But one of the things I really want to touch on is the Trump error tax reform and him doing away with the salt taxes. I think housing costs are already skyrocketing in California, and those salt deductions really help to, in my mind, ease some of the burden on the middle ta- class and lower class. So. If you could help me understand who you think or if anyone is going to take on that fight to get them reinstated and also why it's taken this long or hasn't really been a topic of discussion, uh, I'd really appreciate sure, a little will. understanding. Thanks. Uh, Jeremy, who do you think will bring the SALT deductions back? Who's most likely to do that? Well, this has been a complicated issue in part because it's not just a partisan thing, those deductions going away uh, under the Republican tax law, but also a sort of rich state, less rich state thing because of housing costs and sort of the, the way the politics line up there. I would just point out that Katie Porter won her first campaign against then uh, Republican Mimi Walters in part because a lot of money was spent on her behalf by realtors organizations because she campaigned on that issue and has continued to push for it. Uh, so, you know, this is already a thing that is that has come up in the political space. And um, as Ed points out, or excuse me, that recent caller points out, um, certainly a major issue in a high cost state like California um, and something that Katie Porter ha- has certainly brought up a lot. Well, let me go next to Amy in Santa Rosa. Hi, Amy, you're on. Thanks very much. I agree. You know, we have an embarrassment of riches here um, and all the candidates who are declared are terrific and the ones you're talking about 
One candidate I haven't or she's not a candidate, but um, a legislator that I haven't heard people talk about. And I'm wondering why there isn't any discussion of a, a younger um, representative, Nanette Berrigan from Southern California. She's a, um, an environmental lawyer. She's been in Congress for several terms and very effective um, as a legislator. And I'd like to see someone definitely mm-hmm. on the younger side who has some time to build seniority. And um, I think that she's very in tune with California politics. And I haven't heard her name. Oh, well, Amy, thanks for saying her name. I, there is another name that I have heard analysts actually mention, though, and I'm curious what you think about this. Marisa, I'll go to you, but that's Governor Newsom himself. <laughs> Why are they talking about him in this context? Because uh, we love talking about what Newsom's going to do next. Um yeah, I mean, look, there's a million Democrats in California or a state of like 40 million people and everyone's Democrat, not really. But, you know, all, all the powerful folks are. So, sure, I mean, Berrigan could be a good candidate. I mean, I think, again, like we are talking about a statewide race. So as amazing as any of these younger legislative candidates have been, most of them have only won in an assembly or Senate district um, and they have not, you know, they don't have a lot of the national kind of donors and connections. Um, that's not to say that it's impossible, but I think given that this seat has been filled since 1992, there's been a lot of pent up um, interest. You know, I, I, I would be shocked. I don't try to make a lot of predictions, but if Newsom decided to abandon his uh, second term and run for this office on a number of levels, not the least of which is mostly what we're talking about on this show and others is his presidential aspirations, right, Mina? Yes. Um, and I, just on a personal note, I mean, I think Newsom is far more enjoys being an executive. Um, he did not always play well with others on the board of supervisors here. Um, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm sure if timing had, you know, ended up different, it's not that he would have never run for Senate, but um, I don't. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I would also just note that under this highly improbable scenario, he would be lower in seniority than Alex Padilla, the guy he appointed. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Well, Melanie, Marisa, of course, is right that a U.S. Senate seat is a strong jumping off point for a presidential campaign. I'm actually curious if you've seen any signs of that from Porter and Schiff, that that is their ambition. Well, I mean, there was certainly a time at the heat of the first impeachment hearing where Schiff was making some trips to New Hampshire that caught people's attention because um, what's a Californian doing in New Hampshire, the first primary state, um, if not just to, I don't know, check out the winter weather. Um, and, you know, Katie Porter, there, it's certainly the same. I actually spent some time with her in Iowa, Iowa, where she happens to be from when she was campaigning door to door for um, Elizabeth Warren back in 2020. Elizabeth Warren was her law school professor and uh, Katie Porter actually named her daughter after Elizabeth Warren. So they go way back. Um, and it was pretty interesting to see um, how much Iowans were watching her, not just as somebody that was selling uh, Senator Warren, but also as somebody they were maybe murmuring about themselves. Of course, with the Democratic Party maybe scrambling the uh, uh, early states calendar, it may not be quite so important to have those Iowa ties. But the chatter has been there. I mean, both of these people, I think that one of the things that's so key about both of these members of Congress is that they have national name recognition, and that means also a national small donor network. And that's why we saw these first day announcements where they were bringing in each well over a million dollars. That is because they have these email lists that they can blast out, and it's donors in 
New Hampshire and Texas and Florida and what have you who are also contributing to these campaigns. That is so, so rare and I think really indicative of um, kind of the the next phase of uh, campaign finance that sort of Senator Bernie Sanders really sort of and, and even Barack Obama were, were at the um, at the forefront of. And so I think that, yeah, there's always a lot of it, uh, of chatter. Um, I think that Porter is a little bit younger than Schiff, and that might be also something that's fueling that conversation. But I think both of these members of Congress um, have their national profiles and very much look to maintain them, whether they um, are in U.S. Senate or not. Well, let me go to caller Patricia in Fremont. Hi, Patricia, you're on. Hi there. Um, thanks for having me. Hey, I, there's been a couple of comments about... Um, age, you know, like, the, is California ready for an octogenarian? Like, we should be getting somebody younger. I just wanted to remind folks that it's age is really 100 percent irrelevant to, to people's capability. Yeah. It would be just like saying, oh, um, does California really want another Asian or something like like older adults can experience cognitive decline, but a lot of them do not. And they're very uh, powerful in their ability to make change. Regardless of age. Yeah. And, and and that is our point, that it's ability. It's about ability, not age. Uh, jo- Thanks for that comment. Patricia Joan in Pleasant Hill writes, I've been a fan of Diane Feinstein since 1978, which gives you an idea of my age. I strongly believe that she should not run. It's time for a change. I would be concerned about her retiring and having a need for replacement, giving that person an advantage in the election. Barbara Lee is too old. I think Katie Porter is a bit combative, which works in the House, but not the Senate. I'm going to wait and see. Bonta Schiff, who knows? It will be interesting. Uh, So that is what Joan has to say. Debbie in Sebastopol writes, California should get three senators because of our population and contributions to the United States. I'd vote for Katie Porter and Adam Schiff. We are talking about who you'd like to be. California's next senator, and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Uh, Let me read a couple more comments here. Andy in San Jose writes, both representatives Porter and Schiff are excellent public servants. My personal opinion is that Representative Schiff is best suited to move on to the Senate due to his considerable experience in the House. While Representative Porter is uniquely suited to hold her seat in a traditionally red district, I will support whoever the Democratic candidate is for Senate in 2024. It is my fervent hope that Senator Feinstein can be persuaded to gracefully return to private life. If she chooses to run again, I fear it will not end well for her or California. Another listener tweets, Katie Porter is about the future. She fights for the working and middle classes. Adam Schiff is lost in 2016. His obsession with Russia and Trump fall flat for most voters. It's time to move forward, not backwards. We need a true progressive. And Katie Porter is that person. I'm curious, Melanie, if how you think they will go after each other? <laughs> what do you think they're going to hit on? I mean, I think that the comments from a lot of the callers actually speaks to what's difficult about this race, right? Is that there's a lot of voters who kind of feel like, I like them all. And so that means that it's going to be very difficult for anybody to go negative. But also there is going to be a point where there's going to be so much agreement, I think, in terms of policy that I think that somewhat inevitably, I think that the elbows get a bit sharper as these campaigns um go by. And so I think that that for the candidates themselves, it's going to be, I think, a lot of deference and giving credit to all of the great work that they have done. And then you'll get the comma, but 
here's the clause that says that why I am better. And I think that it'll be interesting to see um, how much they continue to load on the compliments um, because they know that voters are not maybe necessarily looking for um, a, a bloodbath here, right? They want to, the, the Democrats to not tear each other apart. Um, at least that seems like that's what we're hearing from the callers right now, where there seems to be sort of genuine affection for a lot of these candidates. Um, but at the end of the day, each of these candidates wants to win this race. And so um, there might be a time where, you know, to use that awful cliche, like the gloves are going to come off and um, it'll be interesting to see who decides to go there first. Yeah. Go ahead, Marisa. Yeah, I'm already getting like texts from people being like, well, you know, Adam Schiff said this 20 years ago or whatever. So I think there's definitely some of that muddying of the waters. I I do want to go back and respond to the caller about age because I want to be clear what we're talking about here. There's two things we're talking about. One is real concerns about Dianne Feinstein's personal you know, health. I think this is not about just her age. It's about whether she is actually up to doing the job and if she has declined. And that is a valid question for somebody, you know, one of 100 people representing this nation in Congress. I think that we do and should hold them to a higher standard. Two is, this is also about generational change. What we were talking about was not that people would sort of knee-jerk reject a Barbara Lee because of her age and that that leads to concerns about whether her brain is working properly. No, no, no. Barbara Lee is sharp as a tack. Nobody's questioning that. I think there's a question as to whether the problems of the country are being, you know, sort of met in the right way from a lot of Democrats because they feel that there is, has not been a chance for a new generation of leaders to come up and, you know, to change the conversation when it needs to be changed changed. Um, it, I think everybody can see this, you know, in their own personal lives, like different generations have different concerns, um, do things differently. And I think that that is what we're talking about here and not about an assumption that once you hit a certain age that suddenly you can't operate or function properly. Hmm. Well, thanks for that, Marisa. And Jeremy, last comment to you in terms of providing context to listeners so that they can understand what's ahead as we look at this Senate race, you know, come together. I think, as I mentioned before, it is uh, essentially a certainty that a Democrat is going to be the next U.S. senator from California. And so the question you need to think about is what type of Democrat do you want to be representing you, knowing that that person is likely to be representing you for the next 20 to 30 years? Um, They could run for president, but just baseline um, in the same way that Senator Feinstein has been in there for a generation. That is a very good chance of happening again. So think about the long game. Well, listener Dan writes, how lucky are we to have at least two great candidates already in the race and possibly more to come? It's an embarrassment of riches. Well, I feel the same way about our guest today, Jeremy White of Politico. Thanks so much for coming on with your analysis. It was a pleasure. And Melanie Mason, always love hearing your insights as well. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Melanie Mason, of course, national political correspondent for the Los Angeles Times. And Marisa Lagos, our political superstar, co-host of KQD's Politics Breakdown Show. Thanks so much for being on today. Pleasure, Mina. Lots of time to go until the race. There are sure to be plenty of shakeups. And surprises ahead, and KQD Forum is here for you. Thanks, Caroline Smith, for producing today's segment. Thank you, listeners, for sharing your insights. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snapchat Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.